new podcast in the world. From WWE to DNA Impact. By way of the NWA. It's time for Reffing It Up with legendary referee Brian Hebner. An all new episode starts in. This. This. Is Reffing It Up. Welcome back to Reffing It Up. I am the man with the magical voice, RJ. Due to some traveling circumstances, our Eddie Edwards episode will be pushed back until next week. So fear not. That is still coming next week right here, wherever you get your great podcasts on Wednesday morning at 9 Eastern. Please go over and follow us across all your social medias at Reffin It Up on Instagram and Twitter. Brian is at Baby Hebner on Instagram and Twitter. But this week, we go back in time to a little Reffin Rewind as we talk to Bully Ray. So sit back, relax, enjoy this great episode as Brian and Bully reminisce from the days of the WWE and TNA and just everything in general. So I hope you guys enjoy listening to it. While you're listening, please head over across all your social media platforms and make sure you follow JD Hoop. He does the amazing graphics for this show each and every week. Follow him on Instagram and Twitter at JDHoop702. We talk about him every week because he is the absolute best in the business. Another guy that's the absolute best in the business is AJ McKay. Does a great intro for our show. Absolutely phenomenal. Go over to his website at AJ mckaycreative.com check out all his work and you know what hire him while you're at it too because he does absolutely phenomenal work so go over and do those two things and we will see you back right here on reffing it up next week and enjoy this episode of reffing rewind Howdy, folks. Double J here. That's right. That's J-E-F-F-J-A-R-R-E-T. that's double j jeff jarrett tune in here to reffing it up with my pals RJ and Brian Hebner. It's really a great podcast. Tune in every Wednesday morning when it drops. Check them out on social media. Subscribe to the podcast. And man, this episode is a good one. He is a WWE Hall of Famer. He is a TNA Hall of Famer. One of the best tag team wrestlers of all time. And he's a death match god. Mr. Bully Ray. Bully, welcome to the show, man. I'm glad you didn't botch that like LaGreca does every once in a while. I'm glad you threw in Deathmatch God because a couple of months ago, I defeated the Deathmatch God of all Deathmatch Gods, Atsushi Onita, in the ECW arena, thus making me the new Deathmatch God. And on August 6th, the rematch in the ECW arena, myself and PCO versus Onita and Leatherface in the main event, um, it's not going to be a catch as catch can grab a hold and see if you can reverse it trot type of match. I'm sure we're going to be throwing uh, throwing a lot of shit to the wind in that one. So, how you guys doing today? Thanks for having me on. Yo, what's going on? Suck my balls. There you go. <laughs> hey, Bubba. Uh, real quick, was was that was that the one that me and you talked about the lat, the 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 uh, death match that me and you were talking about? Yes. Damn it. Told you I wanted you to be the referee. I know, I know. So, I know. so far, so far, I asked oh, you to be the referee of that match. 
I invited you on Busted Open to talk about your retirement. You turned down the match. You turned down Busted Open. But where am I today? I showed up for your podcast. Now, I I will say this. No, no, no. The next words out of your mouth, I want to be thank and you. Thank you. Very, very. (laughs) So, RJ, did I not say. Don't get me involved with this. No, no, no. I want you. Did I or did I not? I'm already blushing and sweating, man. Bubba, fuck. So did I or did I not text you and even call you and say, look, I'll call Bubba. And I know Bubba would do it under normal circumstances, but he's probably hot at me to ask him this to do this because I fucking turned him down on the on busted open and I couldn't do that match. Did I or did I not say that? Not only Correct. did you not do the match, which I kind of understood, but I asked you to be on Busted Open to talk about your retirement. And I wanted to also, I wanted to uh, talk about your Uncle Dave because we, we paid respect to him. And yeah. you said yes. You said yes at about 10 o'clock at night. And I'm, I'm not trying to make you cry over here. Don't get all emotional on me, okay? <laughs> and then at, at 7.30 the next morning, I get a text from you saying, I can't make it on for this reason, this reason, and this reason. And I read between the lines and I knew you were drunk. <laughs> that That is absolutely correct. And you are <laughs> reading the right lines. Um, <laughs> I, uh, it was a big weekend for me. And I, I really, really felt bad. And I, I know you don't believe it, but I, I, I did. And I just knew that I was not going to get on there, embarrass myself, embarrass your show. And I, I, I did it out of respect, to be honest with you. And it was like, I'm not going to be on there and be a fucking douche. It's so, all good. Don't worry about it. Let's have it. Let's have a good time today. And we'll talk about whatever you guys want to talk about. Cool deal. Awesome. Awesome. But yeah, we wanted to touch briefly on, we were talking about uh, when Brian first met you there in WWE, when you first got uh, into the company there in 99, uh, just to really reiterate what he said was he basically was the driver for you and Devon uh, early there in 99. Correct, Brian? For an appearance. For an appearance. Yes, correct. Uh, is that something that, is that the first time that you remember meeting Brian? I couldn't even tell you the first time I met Brian. I have zero recollection. <laughs> but don't take that personally because I have zero recollection of a lot of things. My brains have been scrambled a couple of times. And my memory back to then, I remember some of the more big deal events. Brian driving me and Devon to uh, an appearance was not a big deal event. Um, so thus I don't remember it. So, uh, but I do remember Brian as a referee in the WWE. So, so to touch on that and and not to try and jog your brain, I just wanted you to know how it was when me and you met. So you guys were doing a show in Richmond and you had recently just signed with WWE at that time. And, um, you guys did an awesome appearance that I was actually really cool. I was talking to him about it. Y'all went to a, um, a black urban school in Richmond. And um, Jack Lanza asked me to carry you guys and you guys were really weird about who drove you. And then y'all found out I was Earl's son. And they were like, you, you said, I don't give a fuck who he is. I don't know the motherfucker. <laughs> so yep, sounds and, like something I would say. So I was like, well, fuck, I'm not driving. Hell no. And they were like, he's ribbing. He's ribbing. He's fine. He, he knows your Earl's son. He's face. He's safe. I said, okay, you're sure. And then Devon, you know, the baby face comes to me. He's like, thank you, brother. He's playing, he's playing with you and all that. I was like, all right, I just don't want to, I don't want to start no shit. And he's like, you didn't start shit. He did. I was like, okay, never mind. So anyway, I took y'all to the school. It was awesome. Y'all touched so many kids' hearts. Um, it was 
and, and I don't know if you remember it or not, man, but those there were some kids in there actually crying. They couldn't believe you guys were there. Um, so I was in awe because I was still, you know, trying to get into the business at that point in time, just doing part-time stuff. And um, I, that's where I first met you guys. We had a fun car conversation. It was very short because the school wasn't far from the Coliseum, but it was really, really neat. And that was the first time I met you guys, kind of, kind of got to know who you were, not with the Dudley Boys, because I was – I was totally mesmerized by the Dudley boys and was really excited about when you guys got signed um, out of ECW because I was a huge fan of y'all there. But um, it was, so I was marking out like, okay, I get to carry the fucking Dudley boys. You know what I mean? Like, so called all my buddies and let them know. And back then we had the, we wasn't like that it was pagers and shit. So, but anyway, but that's, that's the first time, whether you remember it or not, I do. And it was awesome for me, Bubba. Well, uh, I'm, I'm glad that you reminded me of the appearance and how, the, the kids that we met were very happy to see us and that we were able to touch some kids. Um, WWE is all about um, trying to give back to the community as far back as I can remember. Um, they had the um, Be a Star program, I believe it was called. Um, uh, no, wait, no, wait, 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 wait. It wasn't Wish Be a Star. Star. That's, huh? Wish a Star. No, it was something else um, that we were doing about reading. Uh, and I remember doing an appearance with uh, me, Devon, and Stacy. And it was one of the first campaigns that I remember being a part of. I just don't remember. It wasn't being a, be a star because that was the anti-bullying campaign, which is one of the reasons why Bully Ray never showed up in the WWE because of the Be a Star program that they had. But um, yeah, 99. All right. What else you got? So I first saw you got you in Devon, 96. I was 14 years old. My parents despised me watching ECW. So I said, you know what? F you. I had a uh, uh, TV in my bedroom, watched it at two o'clock in the morning in Buffalo, New York. Did What was that moment? Was it in ECW, WWE that, you know, the light switch went on and said, shit, this is, this is really becoming a big deal. The Dudley boys are over. Let's go to the moon. Um, I, I don't know when that exact moment was. I just remember knowing that me and Devon had chemistry. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I came in before Devon's ECW. Then Devon came in and me and him feuded for the longest time. And I was a baby face at the time. And Devon was a heel. And I knew at heart I could be a heel much better that I could be a baby, baby face. So the way the Dudleys came together was very, very simple. I pulled Dreamer on the side one day and Dreamer worked right next to Heyman back in the day. And I said, listen, me and Devon have a unique chemistry. And I think if we were to be put together, we could be on to something. He said, okay, why don't you go tell Paul? And I went to Paul Heyman, who had no office. He didn't have an office like Vince McMahon had. He doesn't have an office like Tony Khan has. He doesn't have an office like any other booker or promoter. His office was a folding table in the middle of the locker room of the ECW arena. He was as accessible as anybody I has, have ever met in the wrestling business. As a matter of fact, the only person that I have met who is as accessible is Billy Corgan in the NWA right now. 
I went to Paul and I told him the same thing I told Dreamer. And he said, great, let's try it. And me and Devon hit our very first 3D on the Sandman and Spike Dudley in the ECW arena when I turned on the Sandman and Spike. And that was it. We were off to the races. Shortly thereafter, Paul took put the tag strap on tag straps on us. And that was just for a month because we were just going to drop them to the eliminators in the opening match of Barely Legal. And if you go watch the opening match of Barely Legal against the Eliminators, that place goes crazy when we lose. Or you could say they went crazy when the Eliminators won. No, no matter how you put it, the place went crazy. They were excited to see the Dudleys lose. Mm-hmm. So I think that is the night that we could have been on to something. Yeah, because those ECW fans there, man, it's, I haven't seen as a fan, I haven't seen anything to even come close to that passion, that intensity for a fan base of professional wrestling. You've been all over the world, Bully. Have you ever uh, uh, come across fans like that? Actually, yes. And it's right in front of us right now. And I always put AEW over for it. You got to remember, Tony Khan, was an ECW fan who sat in the second or third row who showed up to see Taz and Jericho and just ECW in general. So Tony Khan was at an early age, got to be a part of this original wrestling revolution. He got to be a part of that rabid fan base to feel it to know what it's like to be in the ECW arena and be surrounded by that much electricity. And years later, I think that AEW is replicating that type of relationship between their fan base and the company. And I think they have more excitement and electricity within their fan base than just about any I've ever seen in history. And I, and I rival it only to ECW. And because I was in ECW, and guess what I know what it's like, when I watch an AEW show, when I hear the reactions of the fans, when I see the looks on their faces, I can recognize it because that's the same thing that we were doing a long time ago. And it's the biggest compliment that I can pay to AEW. And there's this huge misconception amongst wrestling fans, ignorant wrestling fans who truly do not listen. They don't open their ears because they have their heads shoved so far up their own asses that they can't hear the misconception is that i don't like aew i like aew very much because it's the closest thing to ecw i've ever seen before when it comes to the electricity that's created in an arena so i always give them props for that Hmm. no doubt so i have a question about that Uh, i want to touch on that and get your thoughts on this because here here's where i'm at so I actually agree with you. I, I, I do. And, but I think that right now, for some reason, for these fans, the difference between ECW and AEW, and I was a big ECW fan and I watched it on TNT. Um, you guys, though, were story derived and things made sense. Where AEW, it doesn't matter what they do. They just throw out things that don't make sense. And it makes me wonder how people are still into it in the arena. So in other words, you know, we knew the Dudleys were going to go against 
whoever it may be at ECW. We there was something built up to it for the week before we all did your backstage vignettes, which were awesome. I loved. There, they do some of it, but then there's stuff where you just see. I, I, I don't even Darby Allen versus. Who knows? I don't even know. What, and, and the place goes crazy still. But I'm like sitting at home, like, why the fuck are we doing this? Like, what is going on? So I, I'm trying to figure out, do you feel the same way? Like, I mean, do you feel that way about AEW? I mean, other than letting go of the electricity that you felt, do you not feel what I'm saying or, or do you think I'm not getting it right? I am very, uh, I am split down the middle. I'm very old school, yet very new school. And when it comes to AEW, I think AEW can tighten their screws. And I've been saying this ad nauseum on Busted Open forever if they would invest more in their characters across the board, because there are some characters that they're getting it very right with like a Wardlow Wardlow is getting over like a million bucks. And he's a young character, Darby, uh, MJF, orange Cassidy. They're getting it right with a lot of guys, but if they were to tell better stories, you see the stories right now are being told by the veteran storytellers. I don't believe the stories are being booked from Jump Street. So I would like to see them get back into some more long-term storytelling with concentration on specific characters across the board, not just a few guys. But I also think this way. They're catering to their audience. They're giving their audience what they want to see. I always talk about the rock band kiss when kiss first started everybody hated kiss all of the all of the uh the the you know the newspapers the journalists they're basically like this band sucks they should hang it up they're never going to make it 45 years later kiss at 70 years old is still touring because they constantly catered to their fan base and gave their fan base what they wanted and they grew so it's, it's going to be a matter of time with AEW. They're still in their infantile stages. The honeymoon phase is still going on within their fan base. Their fan base eats up what they give them. Their fan base is a lot more forgiving than an ECW fan base ever was. If you fucked up in ECW, those fans let you know about it. You screw up in AEW, they kind of let it slide, and that's okay. That's their paying. I mean, guys, if you watch Monday Night Raw and you watch Wednesday Night Dynamite and you just go by the fans, what are you hearing? What are you seeing? Well, to, I mean, to me, you're, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, I, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not trying to say anything about anything. I'm just giving my honest opinion, which actually I've talked to you before about doing a podcast. And you told me the best way to do a podcast is to be honest. And that's that's what I'm doing. I, I, I'm not excited to watch WWE Raw. Um, I'm not, um, especially right now. There's some great things that are going on with it, but overall product to me right now is not that great. Um, but they have great people and great characters on there. But I, like, I kind of just think that they're, I don't, I, I don't know how to explain it. It's, it's too deep to talk about it because this is about you, not, not that stuff. But AEW, I am more excited to watch on a Wednesday night. I am. I'm, I'm, I'm more amped up and ready to watch it at 8 o'clock. Um, but my thing is, you know, I'm having a hard time with this too. So like, you know, I want to be hooked and that's a huge thing. And, and that was something else you talked to me about when 
I talked to you personally about doing a podcast and you said there needs to be a hook. People need to be hooked to listen to something and why to listen next week. All right. Well, I feel that's the same way with a program. I feel like they're, they're not doing a great job of hooking me. If they're not hooking me and maybe I'm just too deep into the business to where it's harder to hook me, but I just don't feel like they're doing a great job of hooking somebody to go to the next week. Their ratings stay flat. Their ratings stay flat. I don't care what anybody says. Unless they put on a super, super duper show or whatever, and then they go over to the one million. I mean, and I'm not trying to compare, but I'm just saying there was a wedding in TNA that did 1.5 million. Um, and I think you know about that wedding. Um, it might be my number might be off, but uh, it, I know it was over 1.4. But anyway, actually, that's not, I, I don't know the exact <clears throat> number the wedding did with me and Brooke. I can tell you this. You talk about long-term storytelling. The only reason I'm going to bring this example up is because it's a good example of what long-term storytelling can do. Putting good. Dixie through a table was a six-month story yep. that I came up with. And I pitched to John Gaborik in Birmingham, England. I said, what if I could guarantee you a, a rating? I said, what if I could guarantee you ratings all the way up until the finale? And when I get you to the finale, we will pop a rating guaranteed. And he goes, what do you got in mind? I said, I'm going to put the Dixie through a table. He goes, you're crazy. It'll never happen. It'll never work. I said, okay. And I got up out of my chair and I went to go walk out of his office. I said, you're fucking crazy. You know damn well it would work. And, he, and wow. before I could get my second foot out of the office, he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Turn, come, here, come back. Turn around. Let me hear about this. And I laid out the entire six-month arc. I go, by the time we get to New York in the summer, yep. and I put her through a table, and I follow through on my promise, I guarantee you it pops one of the highest numbers we've had here. And it popped a 1.41. And I'm proud to say that that was written, produced, and directed by me. So there you go. There's a 1.41 rating. Or 1.4. I don't quite care what you call it. Right. You tell a story. You get people invested. You got good guys. You got bad guys. It can be done. It can. You're right. And, and I will say this. I have never heard. Well, we're at the Manhattan Center, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm like you. I get scrambled up too. Uh, but I have never in my life for the amount of people that we had in there, when she went through that fucking table, when your eyes lit up, and if people have not seen this, please go back and watch this. I can't, uh, RJ will have to put it out there or whatever, but uh, what episode, what, how are you fucking fine? I don't know. But when he did that and put her ass through the table, his eyes lit up and just looked around at the Manhattan Center and that place went fucking banana. As Pat Patterson would say. Yes, as Pat Patterson would say, that place was jumping. I had, I, I got right now I'm getting, I swear to God, I'm getting goosebumps right now as I'm talking about it because you're right. You're right, dude. They waited for it and they were waiting for it after that six month period in New York where you guys are from. And it was, it, it was absolutely fucking amazing. And I'll have to put you over if you're the one that put that arc together. Wow. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. It was my entire arc because they had uh, they had nothing uh, going on um, for me at the time. So I had to come up with something that I knew would work if they ran with it. Um, 
And this was, and, and Dixie, what played a great heel. This, I'm not, don't get me wrong. This was not Austin McMahon by any means, but Austin McMahon is the inspiration for bullying Dixie. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, uh, I'm guaranteeing that the female million millionaire owner of TNA, this woman is going to take a super bomb through a table. No doubt. And people are like, no, th- th- there's no way in hell this is going to happen. Yes, it is. And I'm guaranteeing it. And the story will have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And by the time we get it to the end and you get your payoff, you're going to be going crazy, just like they were. So what does this have to do with AEW? I do believe at times they do tell stories with good payoffs. But I'd like to see it happen across the board for them. Because I believe for them to get past their 1 million viewer mark, that's what you need. You need stories. You can't just go balls to the wall every single week with these crazy ass matches. People have to be able to sink their teeth into stuff a little bit more. But they do a great job of catering to their fan base. So did you disagree with me? Of course, of course I agreed with you. Yeah. Yes. What, what you said made sense. Chuck one up. Chuck one up for me, help. All right timestamp and we'll isolate that um to go back on what we, we just talked about about dixie going through the table was how involved was she was it something that obviously she was she did it but was it something that she was hesitant about or was she said hey bully i i know you're going to take care of me or uh or not she uh the way i sold it to dixie was i told her that she would be so over with the fans for taking this bump. They would respect her so much. Brian, why are you laughing so hard? You're a fucking genius. You're a genius, bro. Oh, God. Go ahead. I'm sorry. You got to sell it somehow. What am I? You know, first of all, she she is going to be apprehensive about it. Her husband's going to be apprehensive about it. There's going to be a lot of people apprehensive about it because just out of sheer fear for her safety. I've put, listen, I challenge anybody to put as many people through tables, females included, as I have, and then walk away unscathed. Does it tickle? No. But uh, did they get hurt? No. So I had to sell her on something. I had to, and when I say sell her, I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, I had to tell her, a reason why I thought it was a good idea. First reason why it was a good idea is because it was a great story with a great payoff and a guaranteed ending. Second, I said, Dixie, I think the fans would re- revere you for, be willing, for being willing to do this. She agreed. Her husband, uh, Serge, good dude, originally said no. And then it took a little massaging and a little convincing. And that was it. And as Brian knows... I'm pretty good at massaging and convincing. <laughs> so, so uh, I just want to say this real quick um, for, for, for our listeners out there. So a small teeny list, a list of just women, Terry Reynolds, Mae Young, Lita, Trish Stratus, Tori, Tori Wilson, Stacy Keebler, Jazz, Dixie Carter. Enough said. And I believe all of those women would come on and say, 
that they were very well taken care of, some more than others. It, it's not an easy bump to do at all. It's blind. And you got to hit your target perfectly. And you got to be able to control that woman in your arms, woman, person. Well, you know, I've, did it to, I've done it to guys too. So well, that, that, that day, Bubba, did, uh, I, I, you know, behind the curtain a little bit, nothing too much, but just, I remember that day um, when you and her went over um, some stuff before it. Didn't you tell her, which I, you have to explain this to me. I'm not a worker. You know that. Um, didn't you tell her to squeeze the back of your head and hold on? Correct. Because okay. the closer, the closer I can keep somebody to me, the more control I have over them and the safer I can keep them. So how would she know when to let go to go through the table? Because it's kind of like you're both going to go through, right? Or is that the concept? I know that she's going to let go instinctually. So I'm telling her to hold <laughs> on as long as possible. The body is just going to do that because the body will try to protect itself from a fall. So she's going to let go no matter what. I'm just telling her to hold on as long as possible. And there are some great photos out there of how she takes it. Because once she lets go, she crosses her arms. And she went through perfectly. Yeah, I know she said she broke her back and all this stuff. I think she, I think there are a couple of tiny, tiny little bones that, yeah, might, might have broken. No different than if you had a slip and fall in your own house. I mean, Dixie, that's, that's probably the most physical thing that Dixie had ever done in her life. Kind of like getting it into a mini fender bender. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not shocked that a, a, a couple of little things happened. Yeah, did she go out there and say, I broke my back? All right. It's pro wrestling. We're, we're entitled to exaggerate a little bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. But so, you still, hey, you still got to give her props. She was a trooper. She took the ride. And it's, it's for a person who has never done anything like that before, I give her credit. Hey, and listen, I, I, I'll say this. I, I, I couldn't believe when me and you, my dad, and all of us were in that meeting, and I read the, 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 our, 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 our spreadsheet, I was like, I immediately looked over my dad, and I went, what the fuck? And my dad goes, good, fucker. You know? <laughs> oh, my God. You know, that's, a little, he, that's a little harsh, but I'm not, I'm not surprised it came out of your dad's mouth. No, he didn't mean it like that. He just, you know, times were a little hard back then when that was going on, and he was just, you know, he, my, my dad doesn't have a filter. You know that. This is true. That was actually to be context to it. That was August 7th of 2014. Okay. Uh, yes, TNA, so. T or impact taping. It was taped in June. I believe I just, well, I actually just watched it. I'm like, Oh man, watching it again. It's oof. I see what you mean with it. Once you put their arms across and it's just, is, is that something that you taught her to do? Is it just kind of reflexes or. Uh, I told her to cross her arms. Yeah. Oh, you did. I didn't realize yeah. that. Yeah, I, Absolutely. Wow. Yeah, I, I told I her to hold on to the back of my head and then to cross her arms. Okay, I, I knew I heard you that. And I heard her, I, I couldn't hear her. That's the thing. She was like really scared. I knew that. And you were telling her, because I remember you exaggerating how to hold on to the back of your neck, basically, and back of the head. And um, and I remember you picked her up and everything. And um, I didn't remember hearing about the crossing the arms. That's cool. I didn't know. The, the, big, the funniest thing is when Devon puts her up there, Devon make sure he grabs her, <laughs> grabs, a, grabs a bunch of a, a booty on the way up. And, pushed <laughs> her up. and I was like, go figure, Devon. Oh, God. Yeah, well, so, hey. all right, so go, go, go ahead, RJ. You got something? I'm sorry. I'm taking over the fucking show. 
No, you're good. No, no, go ahead. I'm good. I, I'm I'm just right. Just listening. <laughs> okay. So 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 so, Bubba, let me ask you this. And and do you think that you and Devon being black and white kind of attracted both race, like and showed that you know a unity where back in the day when y'all first formed that you know because back in the day when y'all first formed what's what was the what was the date on that what was that i think it was in 90 96 it was i got it up here i got i think the pay-per-view was called or the event was called crossing the line oh wow but no we never thought of it in terms of black and white just like ron and john the apa the acolytes never thought of it in black and white we were just, we were just, you know, brothers from different mothers. And there, there hadn't been many successful. Um, I don't remember there being as any other successful black and white teams, but we weren't. That's not the way we were looking at it. We knew we were onto something special because we could incite riots, and we had something that nobody else had, or very few teams had. And that was an right. awesome, brand new, unique tag team finish that nobody had ever done before. Mm-hmm. And doing the three day, the Dudley death drop, that was it for us. And we protected our finish forever. You did. Forever. Uh, you did. Because I believe it was Motor City Machine Guns, correct? Chris Saban Chris finally Saban, kicked me. out of it. They kicked out. And of I it. wish there could have been more of a story. And that's another story that I came up with. When me and Devon went our separate ways, we had to have a good reason, not just to break up for the sake of breaking up. And the story was that nobody had ever kicked out of our finish. And we were going to have our last match. And if we couldn't win our last match as a team, we were going to retire. And we hit the 3D on Saban and Saban kicked out. And who covered Saban? Devon. So technically Saban kicked out of Devon making the cover. And that was the first domino to fall in the bully Ray story. Cause the very next night I turned on Devon and called him the weak link. To quote you, he called him the Marty Gennetti, correct? Uh, I might have, I might've said that. Yeah. I might've said that. I might've said that um, calling him the Marty Gennetti would have been too good for him. Now I'm just calling him the Devon of the team. Or so, something like that. I Some wanted to come up with yeah. something worse. I, I, and no disrespect to Marty Jannetty. That was sure. all said within the uh, context of pro wrestling lure. One guy's show on one guy's Marty. So I said, you're not even the Marty. You're the Devon, which is worse. <laughs> but so once me, again, all in the context of storyline. Sure, sure. So let me ask you this, Bubba. Um, so I don't know if you've ever talked about this. I really don't. And hopefully it's something new, but I know you talk a lot. I mean, so, you know, but to me, all right, I'll ask you this first. Let me ask you this first and then I'll get to that. So your singles run in TNA, which I felt was fucking awesome. Um, And I felt like it really made you not that you weren't, but you were a tag team player but I thought it made you a fucking phenomenal player. And I thought it showed the diversity that you have as a wrestler, as a pro wrestler in today's world. And I know this is weird, me putting you over. God damn, this is weird. But Keep going. Uh, Keep going. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Let me hit the record isolate again. And we're good. Yeah. Okay, go ahead, Brian. But no, 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 I'm being serious. Um, 
I, I just felt like it was unbelievable. And I thought the things you were doing was just mind-boggling to me. And it's only because I only watched you as a tag team guy for the most part. How important or how or where does that rank as far as your single run as Bully Ray in TNA? Like, what is it? Where's it? Where's it go in your in your in your in your vault? It's hard to put it any. It's it's hard to um, put a number on it, but it's up there because it's not. It's something I never expected to do. I always wanted to be a tag team guy, and I became one half of the most successful tag team that ever lived. And just remember what I'm saying, successful. I didn't say greatest tag team that ever lived. The Road Warriors are the greatest tag team that ever lived. But I'll be damned, there's no tag team on the planet then, now, forever, probably, who will ever be as successful as me and Devon were. We conquered tag team wrestling across the entire planet. But when I had the opportunity to do Bully Ray, I never expected this level of success. And I'm proud of my work as Bully Ray in TNA. I'm proud that I was able to become a two-time world champion. I'm proud of the Aces and Eight storyline. I'm proud of my work with Hulk and with Sting and with AJ Styles and with Jeff Hardy and any other person that I came in contact with and, and Dixie Carter. So it ranks right up there because it was a hell of a run. And there's still a run left. Wow. But it has to be in the perfect company. I am working with the NWA right now. Loosely. I am not somebody who's just going to go in there and have a match. Having a match doesn't do anybody any good in my eyes. I'm a storyteller. If I'm, gonna, I'm not going to come in for one shot. And I don't care if you tell me I'm coming in for one shot and... Um, you're putting your world heavyweight championship on me. And then I'm coming in for another shot just to drop it back to somebody that that doesn't do anybody any good. There's no story. There's nothing people to sink their teeth into. Now, if you want to bring me in and I'll win the championship on night one, but three months later, I'll drop it back. Different story because we can tell a story and we can get your guy over. And this is one of the reasons why I like the NWA so much because Billy Corgan allows the talent to be talented. He allows the talent to go out there and do what they do and tell their stories the way they see fit. He sets parameters and then you go out there and you tell the story, which is what I enjoy. Obviously in the WWE, everything is under a microscope right now with creative. You, you tell the stories that they want you to tell. AEW, not as much focused on the long-term long -term story as there is the short-term story. Okay. That's, that's why I like what the NWA is doing. All right. And then here was my second question to lead up to that. So the Aces and Eights was done so well, so well. And I obviously I was in the company and I was so excited about watching it grow each and every week. And, you know, I was privy to the meetings as well as you. And I was surprised at different things I would read and all that stuff. And I just, I just thought the setup was really, really well. Um, I feel like, and then you can correct me when I'm, I guess when I'm done, but I feel like Eric was behind EB, Eric Bischoff was behind most of that. I don't know that for sure. 
but it felt like it in the meetings because he was very vocal when it came to that's that part of our meeting when it came to the aces and eights. Um, but, and I, I, I don't know if you've touched on it. I, I really don't. So I know you don't like to talk about repetitive stuff. So if it is, then just quickly get on it. And we'll get to something else. But why? Cause I felt it was so wrong. You dropping the strap at that point in time to Chris Saban. I, I don't feel like that was the right appropriate time. I really, really don't. And, and once again, if you've talked about this and you don't want to bore people, uh, my, my show is fairly new, so this may be really good for them. I, I don't know. I, and if, I, if it is, I'm sorry. But I'm just, I, I went back and I was going through all my notes and you were being like directed or either you were directing yourself so well that I felt like a long-term, a long-term title reign was, was, was what needed to be happening. Um, I'll stop you right. I'll stop you right there. Perfect. Perfect. Stop me there. Me dropping the belt to Saban was never supposed to happen. That wasn't the plan. The plan was I was going to win the world heavyweight championship at lockdown in San Antonio and beat Jeff Hardy. And I was going to hold that championship all the way until bound for glory. Nice little nine month run as the world champion. Chris Saban had gotten hurt and hurt his knee. His ACL, ACL. Yep. Unfortunate, uh, unfortunate injury. And to my recollection, if I have the story correct, and I did recently talk about this on 83 weeks with Eric Bischoff and Conrad. I don't believe TNA wanted to pay for his surgery. I don't know if they ever did, but to compensate him for getting hurt in their ring, they put the world heavyweight championship on him for one month. And I told them this is not a smart decision because it is going to affect Chris Saban. So this is not going to be good for him. He's going to win and the people are going to go crazy because he beat me, but then he's going to drop it back a month later. And where, where is that going to leave him? How does this do Chris Saban any good? But this was a decision that went way beyond Eric Bischoff. Eric Bischoff agreed with me. I think it went way beyond Dixie Carter. I think it went, I went, I think it went straight to the people who cut the checks. And Eric said, just go out there and lay down. We'll get past it and we'll move on. That's my recollection of the story. Saban was never in the equation. Not because he, not because Chris Saban is not a great wrestler. He just wasn't part of the equation. It was bullies the heel and we're going to, he's going to run parallel to AJ up until bound for glory. So bully goes over in San Antonio, then he'll drop it to AJ at bound for glory in, I believe, San Diego. Now, when I dropped it to AJ, people loved it, but they would have loved it even more if I hadn't dropped it to Saban four or five months earlier. Wow. So, and anybody and anybody that wants to come on and, and refute that that story, I, I'll go one on one with them. So let me ask you this. Um, do, do you feel like if, if, if that would have been different, 
things would have been different for the company and yourself? Do you, I mean, like, in other words, do you feel like, cause I, I do, I do feel like that because I think the momentum was there. Um, do you, do you feel like if that decision wasn't made, do you think, I'm not saying would have saved that current, that current, um, regime of TNA. I'm just saying, but like, do you think that would have done a lot of good to not have that done? No, I don't, I don't, I don't think it mattered either way. I don't think it, it, it uh, I don't, the direction that TNA went in had nothing to do with the boys or the effort of the locker room. It had to do with the decisions that were made way above our pay grades. Right. So dropping the strap to Chris Saban didn't affect the trajectory of the company. Didn't help it. Didn't hurt it. It just, it just was what it was. It lasted a month and then it was over with. Right. I think the company would have been exactly where it is today, no matter whether that title change would have happened or not. Yeah, that, so AJ, does, that AJ match was 2013 Bound for Glory in San Diego. Yep. Go ahead, Brian. Sorry. No, no, no. You're good. So, so, uh, Bubba, what, 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 what means more to you in, in, in your career? If you don't know, then that's cool too. Any tag team title you've won or the world title? I, I, I think they have, they're, they're synonymous. I mean, when you, when you win your first ECW championship like we did, or do you win your first um, WWE championship like you did, or unifying the WWE and WCW, you know, winning the WCW World Tag Team Championships, even though it was under the WWE umbrella. You know, some people say, well, you never won the WCW championships because you never really went to WCW. We had the opportunity to go to WCW. We turned it down. And don't you think that if we would have went to WCW, we wouldn't have dominated the tag team division over there like we did in every other company on the fucking planet? planet so right. that's another asinine thing for people to say you know and then there's the you know the, the you know, one of the biggest ones for us was the iwgp the new uh, japan we are yeah. two-time iwgp world tag team championships never in my life did i see that happening we won the all japan tag league one of the only teams to go undefeated in the all Japan tournament and then to beat the great Muda and Aki Bono in the finals. It's amazing. Amazing. A lot of shit that me and Devon did that pre people just either have forgotten about or don't realize it's a hell of a career. And then to top it off, you know, having a, a world, you know, two-time world heavyweight champion, Hey, going to ring of honor and being a six man champion with the Briscoes, lots of great accomplishments that I'm proud of. And you should be. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the Briscoes bully is um, it's one of those things where I, I, I grew up watching you in the early 2000s and into the 90s, late 90s as well. I, I see a lot of the uh, uh, Dudley boys in the Briscoes. As far as the where do you what do, where do you see where as far as far as tenacity about the storytelling about you know, as far as the hey, I'm going to beat the crap out of you and win no matter what. And they really take the fans into it. They tell that story. They don't care who they face. They're going to beat your ass no matter what. That's not really storytelling, though. True. That's just going in the ring and beating your ass. Yeah. One of the things that I wish the Briscoes have, would have done during their career is slow down and tell more of a story in a ring. Briscoes are great at what they did or do. 
how much better would they be if they just knocked it down a notch and changed gears every once in a while? That's a lot of the thing. This is something that FTR is doing well. FTR knows how, knows how to slow it down, get heat, work the hot tag, blow a comeback. You see, shine heat comeback finish has been going on for decades, and it's never failed anybody. You stick to that recipe and just throw in new ingredients, you're going to have a great tag match. Slow it down a little bit. You don't have to go a million miles an hour the whole time. You don't have to work for the pop the whole time. It's okay if they get a little quiet because you know where you're going to go with it and you're going to pop them all over again. So I think when it comes to other than guys like, like the Usos or the New Day, who know how to tell traditional, psychologically sound uh, stories in the ring, tag stories in the ring. I think FTR is doing a good job of it. Briscoes are awesome at what they do, but they're like a nitrous burning funny car. From the minute the bell rings to the minute the bell rings, it's just fucking go, go, go. But it's worked for them. So what, what, what do you know about that? How many WrestleManias you been to? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, when it comes to the psychology of tag team wrestling, you know what? When it comes to psychology, I, I will say this. I'm proud to say that I have surrounded myself with some of the best minds that have ever been in there. People say, well, who did you learn from? Well, I learned from Paul Heyman, Vince McMahon, and Pat Patterson. And then I got to be in there with some of the greatest minds that ever existed. And I always considered myself a sponge for this knowledge. I agree. I agree. And, and, and a good idea is a good idea, no matter where it comes from. And I'm surprised Brian didn't set me up for this one yet. So maybe I should just put him over. Oh, stop. Don't do I, it. Do I, I try it every week. It just does gets me nowhere. Bully All right, guys. fine. I won't put him over. Yes. <laughs> Suck my balls. <laughs> All right. You guys get one more. Then I got to get out of here because I got to go teach class at Team 3D Academy in Danbury, Connecticut. All right. I got, I got one more. I, I have to ask. Okay. So. I, and this is going to be out of nowhere, so that's fine. But I find it very, very intriguing. So our days in TNA, um, I found it really, really weird, but cool weird, that you and Bobby Roode became really good friends. And the reason why I found it weird, because Bobby is nowhere near what you are. Like, he's not. Um, you're totally different characters. And I, and I thought it was awesome. And I want you to just touch on what made Bobby special to you? Because he was special to me as well, just as you are too. And I, and I hate putting you over, but I, but I do love you and you know that. Um, but where, where did that come from? Because it, it was left field, dude, for me. Simple. Bobby's just a nice guy. So am I. Yeah, but that's what you don't realize about me. So am I. I do realize that about you. I'm no a nice guy. Does. But when it comes to business, you better bring your A game. You've seen me in action, Brian. You know how I am. I expect perfection out of myself. And I expect perfection out of everybody else. So, and I'm also not a yes man. You're not just going to come to me with an idea. and I'm just going to go, Yes. I might challenge you. I might discuss you. I might debate you. Listen, Gene Simmons from Kiss is an asshole, but he's also the nicest guy in the world. 
It just depends on who you ask. And it, it takes people with open minds, open eyes and open ears to realize at the end of the day, he's a nice guy, but he had to be an asshole at times. So we always, you know, talk about, you know, uh, you know, well, well Bobby, uh, Bully is the, the hard ass, Devon's the nice guy, right? Yeah. What if I would have left everything up to Devon? Well, then probably a lot wouldn't have gotten accomplished probably because you need, you need a smart mind and somebody that's going to be a stand-up guy, not be a yes man. So I had to be the guy that stood up for the team or answered for the team or anything like that. Not that Devon didn't do it at times, but I was, you know, the guy that had to do that. So then when you say no to people or you challenge people or you look them in the eyes, that's it. Bobby was a good dude. Bobby never smiled. I was always smiling. Yeah. Well, Bobby's got one hell of a resting bitch face. (laughs) (laughs) But we rode together, we trained together, we we did everything together. Me and Bobby have a great relationship to this day. And I and I think that's awesome. And and, and I wanted to put that over because it was very evident. It was awesome because me and Bobby were totally different relationship than me and you, which is which is that's 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 life. I mean, everybody doesn't have the same relationship. But it took me work to get to you. But I think that or either I or you realized that you are a good dude. And I even told somebody on our other show, I guess last week, I don't know. There is a soft side of you that you're a nice, you're a good, you're a good, great guy. And, but you are a no nonsense guy when it comes to business. Business. I remember when we went to the baseball game, if you remember correctly, but in St. Louis, we all went to the game. You led the, you led the charge. Um, if you remember this, I don't know if you do or not. Um, and bro, you sat there and bought me beers and asked me if I wanted something else. Are you good? Are you comfortable? And I'm like, yeah, man, I'm just, you know, just whatever. I mean, you were awesome. And that doesn't make you cool. That's not what I'm saying. But that was the time that I really saw, like, I knew me and you got along. Me and you always talk. Me and you always fuck with each other. Um, but that was the time where like, you were like all, you let everything down and you were like, I'm cool, Bubba. We're going out. Hey. This is me right here. Um, you know, I, so I've seen all the sides of you, which, is, you know, people can say what the fuck they want, just like JBL, just like anybody else that we cover. Um, you're, you're a good dude. You're, you're, you're a guy who is a businessman. You're a smart motherfucker. I called RJ on my own to tell him, don't ask him some stupid shit because not that RJ's dumb, but RJ sometimes likes to ask questions. And I said, Bubba's not that guy. He will call you out. He'll roast you. We have to make sure that you know what you're going to ask. You know, and it's not because he's dumb or anything like that. It's just because I know how you are. And so it was very important for me to explain to people that, yes, bully's tough. Yes. Bully's very passionate. Yes. The question RJ asked me earlier was that there was some kind of quote that was out there that said that when you first got to WWE, you don't sign eight by tens. And I said, I don't know that to be true, but I could totally 100% believe that because at that time he believed in kayfabe and wanted to carry that legacy on. Cause that's how he was trained. Yeah. I told that to Vince McMahon's face. There you go. So RJ, I did, in, I did in, in JR, in JR's office, me, Devon, Vince McMahon and JR. I said, Vince, me and Devon are old school heels. We don't sign autographs and we don't take pictures. And Vince chuckled and he put his hand on my knee. As if a dad, a dad talking to his son. And he said, Bubba, you will take pictures 
and you will sign autographs. And the light bulb went off and I realized I was in a different company. I knew I was in the big leagues now. And I was like, you're right, Vince, we'll, we'll sign autographs and we'll take pictures. <laughs> to me, when you came up in ECW, you always wanted to keep your gimmick strong. And I thought that the WWE was hiring the ECW version of the Dudleys. I thought they wanted that to carry over. Makes sense. The WWE was investing in two guys that they knew that they could count on. They didn't necessarily want the ECW Dudleys. They just wanted the Dudleys because this was one hell of a team. Do you know that the WWE never, ever, ever told the story of the Dudley boys? I, I can totally believe that. They never did. All we knew was the Dudleys were from ECW. We didn't know about the brothers from different mothers and the lineage and Big Daddy Dudley and all of that stuff. So, I mean, yeah, I did say that to Vince's face. That's crazy. And if I was, and I've said a lot of things to Vince's face. And if I say it to Vince's face, you don't think I'll say it to the boys too? This is business, man. I'm not good. I'm, I'm, I know how to conduct myself as a professional and anybody who could ever say, and I know that there's a couple of guys out there who talk so much shit about me. Oh, he said this, or he did this. If I said something to you or did something to you, that has rubbed you the wrong way to this day, you probably deserved it. Right. Because you were probably a prick or unprofessional or didn't belong in that ring in the first place. I agree. I agree, man. And um, we won't, we won't hold you up. I know you got some plans and I really, really appreciate it. We, we both really appreciate it. And um, you were awesome as always. I hate to say it, but God damn bully. You're great. Uh, fuck. Yep. Uh, <laughs> but <Yep. you're> great. <laughs> thanks for having me on i appreciate it i think you're doing a great job with this podcast keep up the great work and thank you everybody for tuning in today hey anything else you want to put you um any to put yourself over i mean i know you always want to do that I, actually i never do well what what, what, what what you're on busted open radio what like a couple days a week right three yes uh you can listen to busted open monday through saturday from 9 a.m to noon and i am on every monday every Tuesday and every Thursday. And our Busted Open Masters Class podcast drops every Sunday. Live radio, three hours every day, podcasts every day, specialty podcasts on Sundays. Busted Open, the number one pro wrestling radio show on the planet and the number one sports show on the entire Sirius XM platform. Well, we'll see about that shit. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> hey, come and get it. Hey, Bubba, thank you so much, man. We really do Thanks, appreciate man. it. Take care, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Bubba. Thank you, buddy.